welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. As Christmas nears, myself, Stuart Court, is as ever joined by the joyful one, Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I am very well, thank you. Life is good. Um, we've just, to pull back the curtain, finished a very enjoyable interview with uh, our guest this week and uh, just realised that my microphone was kind of unplugged for that and is plugged in for this. Apart from that, all's good. Man City drew with West Brom. Chelsea lost to Wolves. Could be the, it could be the Coyzers year, Stu. You just don't know. You just don't know. Yeah. Well, I do know and it's not, but anyway... <laughs> Well, I've got I've got uh, English sterling pounds on it with uh, actually someone who no longer works where I work, so that's a bit of a pain in the ass, really. But um, yeah, uh, this week we will quickly talk about the Seahawks beating the New York Jets, and then look ahead uh, to this week's game against the Washington Football Team. Ron Rivera, Chase Young, and TBD at quarterback, and also in between, as I said. We've got another guest jumping on the ped pod, but the Seahawks on Sunday, Adam, uh, they came, they started playing, they scored some points, and they beat up on the 0-13 now, New York Jets, 40-3. to It's the biggest home win since week 13, 2016, when they put 40 up against the Carolina Panthers. And obviously, the, the only one bigger than that in the Pete Carroll area is when they beat the Cardinals 58 nothing in 2012 it was a game that happened adam was that game against the panthers the one where cam newton didn't take the first snap yeah something like a fumble and then for a pick six or something uh i think it was a pick six but yeah it was hilarious um and that was actually the more pretty much as interesting as the game on sunday i mean the most fascinating thing that i found is that the jets have scored on their opening possession in seven straight games it's amazing so like, that's amazing because, like, Gates is clearly doing something because that's clearly what it was. It was fifteen plays most coaches script. Yeah, they work. Yeah, just script every play. <laughs> Could win the Super Bowl. Well, no, well, it's not Gates, is it? It's the OC. Remember, so he's not. Well, it depends. Yeah, it depends if he uh, if he likes yeah. it or not. But no, let's be <laughs> honest. It was. Um, I think we gave with our with our candor in the podcast last week. I think we probably gave. Uh, the, this game as much respect as it ended up deserving. It was um, it was very much a volume off, red zone volume on type thing uh, after the second half um, started. And uh, thankfully no one got injured. And that's all you can really hope for from a game like that, I would say. Yeah, uh, it was dull. Um, very, very, very dull. When the Seahawks made it 40 to three, it said two and a half minutes on the clock. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> We're going to be finished before midnight maybe an earlier bedtime than normal, and then it realised that next to it was uh, third, which was impressive. No, not really, but it was really annoying because the fourth quarter then had Sam Darnold against the Seahawks third stringers getting 29 yards of offence against players who I still don't know who their first names are, and Gino Smith. Um, I, I put on a group chat I'm in with the Dynasty League that it was like the Jets' Christmas story, like Scrooge. <laughs> There's like ghost of Christmas past, ghost of Christmas current, and all the Jets fans at home watching YouTube clips of Trevor Lawrence for the ghost of Christmas future. It was, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like there's going to be as much insight on the game posters that was pre, but Russell Wilson had his get right game as you'd expect against his Jets team. The interception was an unbelievable play by 
Marcus May. I mean, there's a clip, one angle, DK Metcalf is going for the one-handed catch instead of really fighting for the ball, which is slightly annoying. Um, but yeah, like Jamal Adams broke the sack record. But I think I've said to anyone I spoke to about the game on Sunday, the Jets are the worst team I've ever seen play an NFL game. By a distance. And I would say that it was actually, <clears throat> yeah, people can talk about whether they're tanking or whatever. Every time they ran Frank Gore up the middle, an angel lost its wings because it was just, they, they looked, they didn't look good at any stage, but they looked a little bit frisky anytime Frank Gore didn't touch the ball. Yeah. And yet they just insisted on giving it to number 21 for no gain at any stage. Um, DK Metcalf has made maybe two rookie style errors this season. There was the uh, celebrating early in the Dallas game and there was maybe not fighting for that ball enough great that they happen in games that you win uh, and you can learn from them and move on. Uh, and I thought the most important thing for Wilson's standpoint this week was that he looked set on his feet in the pocket. We mentioned the, the tap dancing and the happy feet in the pocket uh, in the previous few games. That wasn't happening this week. And uh, he looked much more you know, steady-footed, stepping up into the pocket, stepping up into his throws, which is kind of the main thing I was hoping to get from the game. Um, and as a result, you know, everyone goes home happy. Uh, yeah, Chris Carson scored a touchdown. Penny Hart, who is, I, I, I'm still convinced he's probably only on the roster until Josh Gordon activated, but he showed some impressive speed. He had what I think was his one catch of the season as well. David Moore scored another touchdown. DK Metcalf scored a touchdown. Will Disley got a touchdown. Freddie Swain, again, um, is, continues to hit, hit above average on his rookie season, didn't he? He got another touchdown. He two catches, though, but... I mean, Julian Smith was in for 17 minutes. I mean, that kind of just sums everything up. The the Seahawks scored 40, and then the Saints lost to the Eagles at the same time, and that New York Giants loss, Adam, is just somewhat, somehow, some way, even more annoying. Yeah, I mean, I was mainly engaged uh, in the Seahawks game because I had taken the under on my accumulator, which was 48 and a half points. So at 43, I was a little, little bit worried, but then I saw Geno Smith coming out and I thought, well, this is in the bag, mate. Don't worry about it. This is in the bag. Um, and then I'm watching yeah, the Saints game, uh, who really just you know, struggled to, to do anything clean on Sunday. Um, it did make it quite frustrating because whilst we have stumbled uh, at times, and it, it looks like the season may not end with the with the ranking that we hoped. It was just one of those games that if we could have beaten the Giants, you, know, you could have just stumbled into uh, you know, third, second, maybe even first, you know, first seed in the NFC. But that probably looks beyond us now, which is slightly frustrating. Yeah. Uh, anyone of other note? Obviously, Brandon Shout limped off, and it doesn't sound like he's got somewhat of a doubt for the game coming up uh, over in the nation's capital against the Washington football team next week. But there really wasn't much to say. I mean, as I said, Jamal Adams broke the set record, eight and a half sacks for DB is a new NFL record. And he's done it in just nine games. That's about it, isn't it, Adam? Yeah, I've never seen a team, and this stretches back to the prime LOB days, where two people conspire to drop an easy interception for one of them. It used to be an Earl Thomas staple of just flying into someone about to make a pick, uh, like an easy pick and just knocking them off for no reason. But I think that one with KJ Wright and Puna Ford takes the biscuit uh, from Sunday evening because that really was a joke. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a pick six if one of them gets out of the way of the other one. Um, also, if anyone has a spare nine minutes, go and watch the YouTube interview with um, KJ Wright post-game because he comes across as a thoroughly nice bloke. Uh, it's, it was like we always hear the platitudes and everything from Russell Wilson, so it's just pointless cliches. But KJ Wright just comes across as a really nice dude. Adam, well, that's good to hear. He, um, yeah, from from all your that we can tell from uh, you know people that have, are, are in the know, it's certainly never heard a bad word about the guy. So, so that's good to hear. Um, yeah, Jamal Adams really should have had a pick six as well. Um, you do feel sorry for Sam Darnold, who's just been completely ruined by that situation. Um, and the only other thing that I did take from it was that I am absolutely correct in my assertion that if Wilson was missing for the whole season, Geno Smith is a one in 15 quarterback because he was absolutely rotten. Um, but that's understandable, but it's not understandable that he's the backup quarterback because there's a chance that he has to play a whole game one of these days if Wilson gets injured, God forbid. So, um, Touch all of the the wooden articles you've got in the room where you're listening to that that never happens because that would be a terrifying sight. <laughs> it's the first time since 2016 a quarterback not named Russell Wilson took a snap in a regular season game um, for the Seahawks, which is pretty impressive. The matter batches and flung to the how often Russell Wilson been flung to the ground over those four years uh, one other note DK Metcalf became the 14th uh, Seahawk to get more uh, 10 or more touchdowns uh, receiving in the regular season and obviously the record for that is Doug Baldwin's 14 back in 2015 was it when he got f- and also unfortunately for the pedestrian podcast one of our People we've long stood, why well, long stood on the soapbox for? He passed Jimmy Graham in the all-time receiving list, and the names he uh, is getting close to include Golden Tate and Jermaine Curse. It's just wild how quickly he's doing that. I mean, Curse was here five years, Tate was here four years, and DK needs like one large explosive play on Sunday to pass both of them. It's quite ridiculous, Adam. Yeah, and you kind of feel that like he could have 25 touchdowns in a season if they really like if if there was like you win the super bowl if dk metcalf gets 25 touchdowns in a season you feel that they could probably do that if they wanted to Mm. um you know they probably don't force him the ball enough in the red zone to be honest you know the last couple of games they've had whole drives in the red zone where he hasn't even had a target um i was listening to mike holmgren a couple of weeks ago said something really interesting he said that every pass when you're in the red zone should end up in the end zone. So, you know, every pass in the red zone, you know, screens, no little curls and unders, every pass should get into the end zone from the red zone, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and you wonder, you know, maybe if, if there was a coach like that in charge of this team, you know, what DK Metcalf might be able to do, because uh, pretty frightening. Sad times for my boy, Nick Valor, who uh, maybe got his positioning slightly wrong on one of the Jets' long runbacks from a kickoff or a punt that I had. It's, uh, it, you know, D- David Moore certainly tracking for the Hall of Fame. Nick Bellore, maybe uh, we've had a, a special team stumble on his track to Canton, which is a bit of a shame. He's still Jersey Bull at the end of the day. Uh, so yeah, moving on, we will soon preview this week's game, week 15 of the 2020 NFL season. Wild, really, that they've made it this far. Um but before that, we are joined by a special guest, another one in 2020 for the Ped Pod. This is Gore, and Frank Gore tripped up before he could get up ahead of steam. 
and is down at the 32 yard line. And ruling on the field is that the ball was fumbled and recovered by the defense. As 2020 draws to a close on the Pedestrian Podcast, we continue our stellar run of special guests. Joining this week, myself and Adam, is Joe Fan, who covers the Seahawks for NBC Sports. Welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast, Joe. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate the invite. Good to, good to see you guys over Zoom. Um, and I hope you guys are doing well. No worries. Thanks for coming on. I think we, I think I'd never returned a DM from you a few months ago when we first arranged this. And Adam said, oh, I've got Joe Files. Like, oh, yeah. So, so <laughs> this is my public apology for not replying to your DM a few months ago. Um, you know, I'd been holding it against you for a while. <laughs> so I appreciate you, you know, putting water under the bridge. And, you know, apology means a lot, man. So we, we can move forward and, uh, you know, be better. But just don't ever let it happen again. I'll, I'll try my best. I'll always compete, as uh, I'm sure you hear quite a lot uh, yeah, during your exactly. daily job. Uh, before we get into, like, your job and, like, what your thoughts, and stuff. What was more disappointing, um, the Giants' performance or the fact that Pete Carroll didn't pick up on your attempt of a joke on Sunday post game? Oh man! Well, the Giants' loss was really disappointing for everyone in Seattle. I mean, that's just, and it only got more disappointing when the Saints got beat by the Eagles because you immediately see the repercussions of losing that game. And it was a game that, and Shaquille Griffin put it beautifully they had no business winning that game and he's absolutely right. And so let's call a spade a spade and understand that um, that was a game that you absolutely were unable to lose. Um, And they played such a dud of a game and they exhibited such stubbornness on offense. That was, I think is what makes it so infuriating when you acknowledge that you had a bad game plan and should have pivoted earlier and all these sorts of things that shouldn't have been so hard to do in game. It didn't take, you know, someone with 30 years of NFL coaching experience to understand, hey, they're trying to take away the deep shots, limit the explosives, keep everything in front, and make you work for your drives, right? And yet the Seahawks continue to pound sand for 60 minutes and try these long-developing routes and get these off-schedule checkdowns. And all of it was just, I think, so mind-numbingly frustrating because there's not a, a team in football um, that should be able to hold that offense to 10 points. And it seemed like it, so much of it, while they did play well and you can tip your cap, so much of it was Seattle's own doing uh, in terms of their inability to you know, pivot to a, a different sort of plan mid-game. Pete Carroll missing my joke was, was a bummer. I expected, I expected just like a little smile. And <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll run back the, the quick story. Obviously, you know, Pete Carroll loves to say that you can't win a game until the fourth quarter. It is by far my least favorite Pete Carroll mantra. I don't know why it bothers me so much, but I do think there's something to it where it lends itself to starting slow, I believe, because you don't have this mindset of let's take it to somebody from the opening kickoff. It's no matter how things go. And I get the whole idea, right? It's play full 60 minutes. You're never out of it. You're never too far ahead, all those sorts of things. But there are a lot of games to one in the first quarter, in the second quarter, in the third quarter. And you saw that on Sunday, obviously, with Pete Carroll pulling out his starters with, what, 17, 18 minutes left in the game. And so my thought was, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Pete Carroll what quarter he thought he won that game. Because clearly he knew he won the, in the third quarter, but you can't win the game till the fourth quarter. So something's off there. And I was like, if you can't make a fun kind of crack at that after a 40 to three win, you can never make it. So I was like, why not? I don't really have a whole lot to say. Cause I don't think we learned a whole lot about this team against the jets. Cause the jets are just horrific. And then I, so I said, Pete is curious. What, what quarter do you think you won that game? 
And he, he just didn't, he's like, I don't know why you're asking that question. Somewhere in the third quarter when we started seven guys. And I was hoping for like a, just a smile, like fourth quarter, you know, and just, just run and lean into it. And he must have, I don't know. Didn't work. I tried. Some people got really upset about it, which I don't really understand. Um, but it was all in good fun. So we, uh, at the end of every show, we have a segment called get in the bin. Uh, and what we do is we pick up something around the NFL that's just driving us mad and we put it in the bin. So um, Hugh Jackson uh, is in there forever. Colin Cowherd has a timeshare. And so we do it. And actually Pete, Pete Carroll is a listener to the show. And he found out that uh, you were coming on. He said, look, make sure Joe gets, gets stuck in the bin for that question. Yeah. No, and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Most of my jokes fall flat. So I'm... We I'm, loved it. We yeah. loved it. Yeah. That's, um, it. It's funny because the... Normally, a Seahawks season kind of takes on a similar trajectory. It's a slow, it's a slow start. It, it almost mirrors like the way in which Pete Carroll wants to play a game. Um, but this year, they fly out the gate five and zero, um, and then you know we're four and four since then. And I, I noted on your power rankings today that the Seahawks are tenth in in the power rankings, which I think is a perfectly fair placement. But you know, after five or six games, some people had them at fifth or sixth. And obviously social media is blowing up, like, how dare you show them the disrespect? But I just wonder kind of whether we've kind of settled into where we actually are. And this is going to end in like in 2016, 17, where we just saw this team where at some point going to lose to Atlanta in the playoffs. Is that, you know, the ceiling for this team, which I, I guess we hope it's not. Or, or is there something more to it? Because, I, you know, you just don't know who's going to turn up on a Sunday at this stage. Yeah, you look at – got to go look at the power rankings, but that 9-4, and four, there's such a big clump of teams in that area. So it kind of just – the reason why they're at 10 is kind of with when they lost, they had kind of a, of a run of losses more recently to where they dropped and are now climbing back up and teams in front of them haven't really lost. And so my, my logic is they're not jumping teams that were already ahead of them after a win against the Jets. Um, to me, the entire NFC is flawed. I think the Rams are the most complete team, but they've had several duds. And I think Jared Goff, we know, is very prone and capable of laying an egg and turning the ball over three or four times. Um, just as the Seahawks want to avoid the Rams, I think the Rams are probably feeling very lucky they get to avoid the Niners in the playoffs mm -hmm. because Kyle Shanahan is the, the one coach, maybe outside of Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl, that has truly had Sean McVay's number. It's really a little brother syndrome over there. You know, the two guys from Washington. And um, so with that being said, I don't think it's fair to overemphasize um, – the Seahawks warts and deficiencies while ignoring the deficiencies and flaws of other teams in the NFC. I don't think there's an NFC team that the Seahawks can't beat. The biggest problem with the Seahawks is that could they lose to Washington or the Giants in the first round if they're going on the road as a five seed? Yeah, I think everyone can see that. There's not enough confidence in them being able to take care of business against a, a team that's inferior. So that's always been the double-edged sword with this team. That's what made it so nice to see the Seahawks were able to just kind of take care of business and, and smoke the Jets. Um, so I guess it's a really long-winded answer of saying, I have no idea what's going to happen with this team, but I could absolutely see them making the Super Bowl. I think they're plenty capable. And if this defense, we'll find out in week 16, truly has turned a corner to where it's just capable. It doesn't have to be elite, but just capable. Um, then there's no reason why the Seahawks can't run the table in the NFC and, and find their way in the Super Bowl. So how obviously 2020 has been what weird everyone is fully aware of that by now. How has been, how has it been different covering the team 
obviously um, you you at VMAT through the summer, but now it's all Zoom and you're barely, you're barely being heard by some of the players and some of the coaches. How's it been from your end? I mean, quite frankly, it sucks. You know, like it's it's one of those things like you can acknowledge it sucks, but still be grateful you have a job. There is yeah. a season happening, which I am, absolutely. But every single interview that we've done and press conference we've done since the end of last year has been over Zoom. All of free agency, all of the draft, all of training camp, there hasn't been anything to where you're in the same room and the same, there were a couple pressers in training camp with Pete and they, they, they shut that off real quick, but yeah, it's weird. You know, and I'm not traveling, which is a huge adjustment. Um, and thank God I still get to go to home games just cause it gets me out of the house. But like I said, before we went on here, it's bizarre to be covering a team from my bedroom. Like my bed is right there. My bathroom's right there. Like I'm in, this is in front of my closet. Like, you know, my suit back there. like, you know what I mean? And that's where I spend my day, which is bizarre. Um, it's funny that like, there used to be like the joke about like bloggers who like covered teams from their mom's basement. It's like, we're all covering the team from our mom's basement this year. Um, so that's all really weird. And I guess the final point would be that like, we, everyone's working with all of the same ingredients at all times. I, I compare it to being a chef. Um, and every every cook is given the same ingredients at the exact same time, and you just have to decide one how to make the meal and put your own twist on this meal. That everyone's largely going to have the same thing, um, and how quickly you can get it done. But on top of that, it's all streamed live, so it's like not only do all the chefs here have all of that, but everyone everywhere has all the same stuff. So you really don't have a whole lot of you're missing like the nuggets of chatting with guys in a locker room, like on your own and being like, Oh, that was interesting. I can go write it, get a story together rather than scooping myself, tweeting it out. You know, it's, it's all just very bizarre, but you know, you're making the best with with what you got. And, you know, I think it's, it's going okay. As, as good as possible. Yeah. Adam. As a chef myself, I would say that you, you've come up with some uh, good recipes, so I wouldn't worry about that. Um, But that kind of. I appreciate it, man. Lends itself quite nicely to uh, the, annoying phrase that has kind of permeated through the whole team so much that that's almost become reductive in, in let Russ cook. And obviously Wilson has to be the focal point of the season. It has been more his season, I would say than any other that he's played in. And uh, I'm finding it slightly frustrating in the sense that any pass is seen as let Russ cook and any run is being seen as not letting Russ cook. And I think we're, we're kind of getting to a stage where the phrase, like I said, that my wife has heard of the phrase and she has no idea about sports. What she's just seen it online because it's become such this kind of ubiquitous thing. Ubiquitous, <laughs> great word, sir. Hey, it's not my first radio on this time. This it's, it's, it's because last year, last week I said he wasn't, I thought he was better educated than he tried out. So now he's just trying to prove himself, I think. Well, you know, I dabble, I dabble. <laughs> uh, in, in terms of, of Wilson, how do you feel he's kind of reacted to being the, the real focal point of the team? Because it does feel like it's more on his shoulders now than it ever has been. And I would say that probably with mixed results. Um, it, it is, and it, it should be, because he's the best player. And mm-hmm. you're always going to win as far as your go as far as your best players take you. He talked about it all offseason. He talked about it at the Super Bowl. He talked about it with people in free agency. He talked about it all offseason about how he wants to be more run and gun. He wants to have this mindset of scoring as many points as possible. And they opened the season doing so. And 
I, you know, I don't think teams were fully prepared for Seattle to make such a pass heavy adjustment to where they still were like, we got to stop Chris Carson. And while Russell Wilson's just chucking all over the yard and teams are getting beat deep five, six times a game. I mean, I think it was like six to eight to maybe even 10 explosive pass plays a game in the early going. I mean, it was dominant and teams threw a counter punch and have now had this. Okay. We're going to give you some, some run friendly looks and try to take away the deep stuff and see how you react. And the Seahawks haven't reacted well to that. I agree with you that the side of Russell Wilson's a game manager and needs a good running game to let Russ cook, whatever, and the side's clashing. It's just it's nonsensical because, like you said, every single run is taken one way when it's just it's not that simple. I, I, I still think this is absolutely a let Russ cook team. But you have to – at least to a degree, take what the defense gives you. And that was what the biggest issue with the Giants game was. It's not, it's not that I'll oh, let Russ Cook is a flawed game. I also, I, that's just a bizarre like confirmation bias of like, I told you, let Russ Cook is, is lame and dumb. Like, how do you explain the first five, six weeks of the season when, when they were the number one scoring offense in football? Last time I checked, being the number one scoring offense in football, it's pretty darn good. And I don't know if they're, they're still there now, but they're awfully close. So it works. But it's not like just a foolproof throw every time, no matter what. You know, look at the Rams game. Um, Steve Ruiz of the USA Today posted this story of the Seahawks are, are too hell-bent on letting Russ cook to where they're ignoring what's right in front of them. And it was these just these defensive fronts that were just begging the Seahawks to run the football, and they just didn't. They wouldn't. And so, yes, like I don't think anyone is saying, even the most ardent supporters of let Russ cook would say – never run the football, especially when you're being begged to. So, yes, I do think that it was a really kitschy thing that caught fire, and now it's kind of gotten just obnoxious um, because it turns into this nonsensical debate. But um, I think the Seahawks have made proper adjustments. I think Russell Wilson's handled it well um, for the most part. He's had some stretches where he hasn't played well, but that's also not like a sign of like, let Russ cook doesn't work. If he's just not playing well – doesn't matter what your strategy is or what your game plan is, you're not going to win games. So I don't, I didn't look at that as a byproduct of them putting too much on his play. I just think he wasn't playing well. I don't think you have to overcomplicate it. So I guess, again, that's another long winded answer of how I would probably summarize that. Oh, also, massive part of that this year is someone we've, we've talked about quite a lot almost weekly is DK Metcalf. You've been covering the team from the minute he's every route Rudy run ran in training camp last year to obviously now uh, being is he second in the league behind Kelsey and receiving I mean what's that like been from your vantage point to watch someone who had some pretty not hefty questions to answer but he's asked he's answered them swiftly and now he's just on a wildly upward traje- trajectory yeah he's been tremendous the the fact that he has a thousand yards and double digit touchdowns with three games left in his second year just shows you where he's headed. And I think you see common examples of that. There's still room for improvement, which is the scary part. You know, I think his hands continue to be somewhat of an issue and he's had some pretty big drops this year. And that was his focal point um, after last year, but you know, you're seeing more diverse route tree. You're seeing him moved around the field a bit more. You're seeing him have the ability to run the short and intermediate stuff and in the red zone for that matter. Um, Bryce Hall, I think that's the Jets corner. I mean, just got cooked at the line of scrimmage in that touchdown on Sunday uh, against the Jets. 
And of course he can still just sprint past you. Um, and the physicality he's shown, I think the Niners game was such a perfect example of like just what his skill set is and how vast and varied and elite it is. You see the, you know, he takes a, a intermediate crossing route, gets one block, turns up field, doesn't get touched. I and mean, that acceleration is just absurd. Then you see the strength where he's got a guy draped all over him. It's pass interference and he still goes and makes a play on like a, what was that, like a five yard touchdown catch. So he is really a tremendous dude. Um, he and Russell Wilson being paired together, I think is perfect for both of them. They're both very like-minded in terms of expecting themselves to be quite literally the best of all time. Um, and so I think they kind of nurture each other's mindset in that regard, but also probably keep each other honest to a degree. And um, it's good to have a peer that you're seeing every day have that same standard that kind of keeps you honest in that, from that standpoint. So DK has been a pro about everything. You know, there's no point as he seemed like he's gotten too big for his britches or has um, gotten comfortable or felt like he's arrived. Uh, this dude feels hungry, always says the right things. And as the, you know, this uh, a bona fide superstar personality to go with it, the, the Jim Schwartz saga, the, the hair, the, the, the humor and wit on social media, um, all of that I think is, is really fun and Seahawks fans should be hyped about it because this is a, this is a type of athlete and a, a superstar caliber player that I don't know if the Seahawks have ever had at that position. Um, to complete the podium of uh, Seahawks players that have been spoken about the most this year, two first round picks, a third round pick and Bradley McDougal for Jamal Adams, who, you know, by the raw numbers sets a sack record for all the def- uh, defensive backs after nine games, uh, for a season, which is absolutely incredible. Um, digging into it a little bit deeper, it's quite clear that a lot of that is being specifically engineered to get the most out of him. And I think we said when, when we signed, forget let Russ cook. Are they going to let Jamal cook? Kind of harking back to Greg Williams saying he's going to be bored. Well, if anything, it's been the polar opposite and they've ramped up what the Jets were doing to a degree that I'm starting to be a bit concerned is going to be unsustainable and something that a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers would love nothing more to see, uh, you know, a, a defensive back blitzing on, you know, 10% of, of plays. And is there a slight concern that whilst, you know, the, the raw numbers are, are looking good with it, it, it's the kind of thing that, you know, as with everything in the NFL, as soon as tape comes out, you, you get marmalized. It, 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 is it a concern that when playoffs come around, this is just something that's just going to be attacked and attacked and attacked and used against us? I think it's something you need to be aware of because it is all about balance, but at the same time, that's what he does best. And this is a team that's desperate for pass rush help. And that's the reason, you know what I find funny about him hating the blitz boy nickname is that the only reason he was worth two first round picks and is going to get the richest contract in the history of safeties is because of his ability as a pass rusher. It transcends the position, which makes blitz boy Pretty apt and honestly endearing nickname because he's probably man. This is this would be an interesting exercise. How many non quarterbacks are fetching two first round picks? Hmm. Ten players, maybe. I mean, there's not many. So this is a, you know when you in, when you make that investment, yes, you do have to roll the dice there, and then you can you know, live and die with the results. And there, you're like, you, you mentioned, there's going to be times where you do get burned and we've, and we've seen that from Seattle, but that's also where now all of a sudden it puts more pressure on your coaching staff to vary your looks and make sure it's not predictable while teams know it, it will come and come frequently. 
they can't know exactly when. Um, and so that's the challenge of having a sort of chess piece like Jamal Adams, uh, you know, a guy like that, that the Seahawks really haven't had, even in the Legion of Boom days, is so different in terms of how you, you have to use him and then how you have to make sure you're shoring things up behind him. Um, so it is an interesting, it's, it's yeah, you, when you have talented players that are versatile, that sounds really pretty, but it's on the coaching staff to unlock all of that. And for the most part, I think the Seahawks have done a good job. Um, I think the, the busts in the secondary have been minimized um, pretty aggressively, which is important. Um, and ultimately, it's hard to argue with eight and a half sacks in nine games. Yeah. Uh, one more thing on the defense. Obviously, with hopefully six Seahawks, no, seven six Seahawks games away from really keying in on all this. But free agency is going to come around quicker than people think. And Shaquille Griffin, Dwayne Brown, KJ Wright maybe seem to be the headliners. But and while the team have club control over him, do you think the team should be um, opening up the checkbook slightly to the, the big boy in the middle of that defense in Puna Ford, who's just playing out of his mind this season? Yeah, Puna Ford, absolutely. Um, I mean, Ethan Postich, another name you have to consider. Who knows what's going to happen with Quentin Dunbar? I mean, so important for him to get back on the field and show yeah. well because he's, you know, he had when he got that that trade was made, he had his sights set on a big big contract whether it was from the Seahawks or somebody else this next offseason and injuries continue to be an issue for him Puna Ford you have to keep man especially since he's shown you you can play three technique and do it well and add a layer of pass rush um, to his repertoire where he's had two sacks over his last five games where his previous eight games this season the two seasons before that he only had a half sack in totality so I agree with you. Puna Ford's been fantastic. I mean, Ken Norton was raving about him just last week, calling him a coach's dream, all those sorts of things. Um, he has been and become a tremendous asset that um, has some three down capabilities. And maybe, you know, you, you re-sign him. He's not going to cost Jaron Reed money. Mm. But if you can sign him long term, and then next year when Jaron Reed's contract's up, you could potentially let him walk and feel good about what you have in Puna Ford at that spot and then use some of that money elsewhere. So I agree. Puna Ford, especially the fine, I mean, undrafted, such a special, special fine. And that's a, that's a fine that a scouting department in a, in a front office hangs its hat on. Um, those are the difference makers that help you win Super Bowls. Um, so, yes, I completely agree that he has to be a part of the team's future. Obviously, Jamal is a contract thing this year as well, which is probably the biggest one of the lot. Adam? Yeah. Uh, so the way in which we watch soccer here in the UK, I think it's much more through a prism of if the team isn't going well or if, there's, if it's going stale, like, the coach goes. If that's just how it goes. Like, for me, like, I'm looking at Dallas and, like, well, obviously, Mike McCarthy should go. Like, it's not working. It might be that, that they keep him. And I was interested what you were talking about with, uh, with Pete Carroll about you know, how it drives you mad with the fourth quarter thing. And I think a lot of fans have the same view as you, actually, that it's quite an infuriating thing to say. And I think the Lombardi rule of 50-53 is just another annoying thing because it's, it's clearly been dispelled by figures and whatever. They obviously gave Pete Carroll a bumper new deal uh, at the start of this year. So I think we've got another two or three years for that. She has a slight worry there might be a fatigue level uh, uh, towards the back end of that deal that maybe was the tiniest bit what did you call that contract? A, a, a bumper? A bumper? A bumper deal. A bumper deal. That's a, a very British term for a new contract. So you get a bumper, bumper. deal. 
yeah, a like, bumper deal. Like, like what Giannis just signed. Yeah, Giannis is Mr. Bumper uh, right now. <laughs> you know what? My contract's up in July. I need a bumper deal. I need We run a good agency service as well, if necessary. <laughs> we're more than happy to come in with the suits. Don't worry about that. But I love I mean, that. It, 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 I, um, I'm slightly concerned about that. Yeah, and I think there are valid criticisms. And I, have, I think I have been as critical as anyone of, of Pete Carroll. And I try to always be fair about it. But his time man, his clock management issues, his in-game decisions, his his whole in-game thought process, where it feels more like gut than it does um, firm, sound, good process that you can count on, because emotions are dangerous, and so much of it, especially when he speaks post-game, it's I felt this, or I had, oh, just this was how I was feeling in that moment, and that's dangerous, because while he's got all that experience and experience is worth a ton. And I do think when looking at analytics, you have to look at flow of the game, how things are going mentality. Like, are you looking your players in the eyes and seeing they're going to get that fourth? There's a, there's always an element of that, that human element in sports that you can't be just boiled down to strictly numbers, but the numbers do help you help guide you to decisions. Um, that aren't pure, pure emotion and sentiment. Um, the, the five-year contract extension is a lot. Um, and I think when you look at the potential of fatigue towards the end of it, that is real. There's going to be warts with Pete Carroll and flaws of Pete Carroll that, that people are just going to have to accept. And as infuriating as it is that he's going to say, Vince Lombardi said that if you have 50 completions and run attempts, you're going to win a game and thinking that's the causation, not the correlation. You're just going to have to live with that because while I think that's understandably frustrating for fans, Pete Carroll is one hell of a leader of men and he is such an inspire and he is such a unifier and he is so damn good at getting buy-in from his players that, there is absolutely an element of the grass ain't always greener because you look at all of these coaches that are these brainiacs. Adam Gase is the easiest example, but a dude who can't build culture. He can't get guys to, to that want to fight for him. The guys that are say, Hey, this is my coach and I'm going to put it on the line. Um, and so that to me is the, the head coach's biggest responsibility is building culture keeping guys bought in and, and keeping the shit moving forward. And he, he does that as well, if not better than anybody. And it's on him to put a staff around him to fill in the gaps. And you could argue he's done that to varying degrees. So I don't have much else to add to other than like I empathize with how you feel about it. And I think it makes sense, but I really do think it's important um, to understand that Pete Carroll's superpower is very, very real. And you could look at how maybe, oh, he's not maximizing Russell Wilson and wasted some of his prime years and this, that, and the other. But the Seahawks haven't gone through this stretch by accident, and, and he deserves credit as such. And I haven't seen or heard anything from any player that suggests that his, his magic is starting to wear off. I mean, if they win on Sunday, it's the eighth 10-win-plus season they've had with Pete Carroll in what 10 years which is just and I mean that includes the two seasons to kick it off which went seven and nine but that is kind of something I was I was out in Seattle last year 
and uh, went out for a few beers with Mike Dugar, one of your beat colleagues. And yep. he said, he goes, "Yeah, great dude." The the like the the job that Pete Carroll does most of the time is not seen by on the sidelines. It's how he deals with the players in his office and in that building of VMAC. And that's basically what just echo what you just said as well. It, that is a lot, a massive part of his job. It's also what we see with Belichick, isn't it? Because obviously you've seen Patricia and McDaniels has kind of stayed under the under the under the under the tree a little bit. But then you see Flores just absolutely nailing it because he is building that culture down there isn't he yeah it's it's really challenging to do so um it sounds really easy you can have this great press conference and you get hired but doing so especially when people you know you start losing that's why i look at a guy like kyle shanahan i admire him so much because he came in and they lost for two straight years and you kept guys like joe staley all in and on board and they made a super bowl in his third year mm-hmm. um and i know firsthand that the, the, every player in that locker room would you know do whatever they could for him to, you know, to go win football games. Um, it is wild. And again, perspective is important. We talked about overlooking other teams flaws while harping on the Seahawks flaws. It's a nine win team. And you would feel like when you read my mentions that this team is <laughs> sub 500. And again, I, you, I understand, I understand the lens that they look through because they see this like, this is a team that should be compared to other Super Bowl contenders, which I totally agree with. But there is a line where you can take that too far. Be critical, but every time the Seahawks go three and out, firing Brian Schottenheimer is not the move. You know, you, I, I laughed when you said over there with the football clubs, like if teams not doing well, just fire everybody. And it's easy to do that, but then you get in this cycle where you're just firing everybody over and over and over again. You never have any sort of stability or continuity. So um, it's a sports in general, and this is a, a wild tangent, but it's just such a the psyche of a sports fan of, of sports in general is pretty wild when you think about it. I think about it quite a bit, to be honest with you. Cause I'm like, man, fans are psycho. And then I'm like, I'm that guy when it comes to the Mariners or some of my teams and like the Mariners winning a world series does quite literally zero, <laughs> does me zero benefit to my like actual livelihood, but it would bring me so much joy that I'm an absolute nutso about it. And I don't know. So I, I try to remind myself of that when I look at my Twitter mention, it's like people just losing their minds. Like I get it. I do. I really do get it. Yeah. I've so always it, considered that it must be what I'm not a smoker, but being a sports fan and like an addict to a team is just like smoking. Like you do it because you are completely addicted to it and you know that everything about your life would be better and healthier if you didn't do it. But then why would you like, you can't kick it. And you invest so much emotion and time and energy. And it's so heartbreaking when you get let down. <laughs> it's wild. But it's like you wake up tomorrow and like you had the same amount of money in your bank account. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, as long as you didn't do anything stupid, the same job you had. <laughs> your friends, you agree with me, it's all there. But it's, it is. It's such a big part of all of our lives. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. So like 12 years ago, I went to watch my soccer team play uh, West Brom obviously at West Brom, um, everything on the day went wrong. We we lost 5-0, but me and my mates still talk about how amazing an away day it was. It was brilliant. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's exactly that point. Uh, obviously, before this, you covered the Seahawks, you covered the 49ers, which again, must make your mentions quite interesting, especially in a couple of weeks. Is there anything that you saw from while you were covering the, the team, but obviously focusing on twice a year on the Seahawks that you've come to like take a different... Uh, in different contexts from your job now or is it is what you're what you 
hear and experience is what you kind of thought of the people you deal with. If I the, the job is largely the same. The big difference is, and this is why I was, I was eager to get out. Not because I didn't love the job. It was a great opportunity. And I'm so grateful to the Niners organization because I, I worked for the team. I was like John Boyle. I'm sure you guys are familiar with. Mm-hmm. That was my role, but I wanted it out because I wanted to work for a network. I wanted to be able to say what I wanted. I didn't want to be looking over my shoulder or worried about every single word I typed and, and thinking that I might get in trouble for it. Um, that just wasn't a place I wanted to be. It's not a, um, I had gotten to a point in the role where I was ready for that next step. And so NBC sports has given me such a great opportunity to do so. And it's been fun to ruffle some feathers and write stories and not intentionally, but like when you write stories that you believe in that aren't necessarily positive, you know, there's going to be a reaction to that and being able to say, Hey, this is why I wrote this. And this is, and I understand if you disagree, but this is my thought process. I'm not saying anything for shock value. It's just, this is what I believe. And I think it's important to, to say and note and, um, and you get a lot of feedback, some really positive and some really, really negative. And you just kind of understand like, kind of like dating, like you're not for everybody, you know, like some people are going to really like you. Some people aren't going to like, some people are going to hate your guts and that's all right. You know, like I'm okay with that. Um, there's nothing, nothing personal about it. Um, you know, this is me and I'm just, that's it. So um, that's been a really fun part of the job. And now these two years or one and a half years covering the Seahawks, it's been fun to have that flexibility and, um, you know, bring out my voice a bit and not be afraid to touch on more, more challenging topics. So um, I actually have a question for you guys. I wanted to ask before I forgot, does it drive you nuts saying soccer? Like, does that just, oh, does that just, just grind your gears? Does it like sound like nails on a chalkboard coming out? Not really. I mean, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it is right. It's association football. Yeah. It is soccer, but no, nah, yeah. Okay. It doesn't bother me as much as uh, Americans saying the Seahawks. Uh, no, when they don't pluralize teams. So Seattle is a good team this year. Drives me fucking crazy because it should be Seattle are a good team. This is a collective of humans. But then they'll say the Seahawks are doing well. So Seattle is doing well. The Seahawks are doing well. Just pluralize it all. It drives me insane. That's so funny. Every time I write, I think consciously about doing exactly what makes you so upset and every time i listen to arlo white calling uh premiership games mm-hmm. I, I you know he, he says seattle are and uh, yeah. i'm like no <laughs> but like i'm sure he's you know he, obviously what you say makes a ton of sense but i can't seattle are doing well right now no like ugh. perfect perfect Jerry, you're <laughs> a natural mate you are a natural oh uh, that sounds terrible i <laughs> yeah but I, I yeah, you hear it all the time. That is, that is a funny one. I, I'm glad you brought that one up. I had a real um, rant at Kevin Shockey about it from uh, KGR a couple of weeks ago, just, just how it drove me absolutely crazy. Um, speaking about driving me absolutely crazy, I know we're, we're keeping you uh, for time, so we would keep it a bit short, but this game on Sunday just looks like one that is going to drive me absolutely <laughs> crazy. Um, it's a crap pitch field, sorry. Uh, the, that defensive front of the night of their football team is just a complete disaster. And give me something to cling on to that I'm not going to spend 6 p.m. till 9:30 p.m. over here just wanting to break the TV in half. I like I like pitch. I like pitch. I like kits. I love. I'm so jealous of like garbage and like. Uh, all of it. It's just, it's so brilliant. I love mates. I love, I love your whole lingo is just like, it's just, it comes off the tongue so free and easy. 
and it's just I, it's so cool um i'm sure you guys hear that all the time uh how I'm, <laughs> I'm like going on tangents in my head now i'm thinking of you guys coming to america and like you guys seen forgetting sarah marshall with the mm-hmm. Jonah Hill, you sound like y'all from I'm London. <laughs> and I'm like, you guys must get that all the time when you come to America. It's probably so annoying. Mm-hmm. But that's what I would say to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm the annoying guy. Oh, man, I'm the worst. Um, this game could be infuriating for you. But here's why it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be infuriating, but it's, which I guess is probably what makes it more infuriating. Um, the Washington football team's offense – um, isn't good. I mean, it's, it is as conservative and, um, limited as you could imagine, especially without Antonio Gibson, their, their leading target guy is JD McKissick. Hero. Who, I mean, it's just, it's just check downs to him over and over and over again. I mean, he's going to get like 10 targets in that game and he's been turning 10 targets into like 30 receiving yards. Terry McLaurin has been silent. He's the one guy, right? Just don't let him beat you deep. Don't let him ruin you with seven catches for a buck 20 and two touchdowns. Other than that, I don't know what scares you. Even if Alex Smith plays, I get Alex Smith is an incredible feel good story. He's been playing fine, but nothing about what he's done scares you. So it's the defense and potentially a backup right tackle going against Chase Young and Montez Sweat. And (laughs) that could be ugly. But if the Seahawks continue to be on schedule and, and utilize this short intermediate passing game like they did against Arizona and the win and also against the Jets, you can mitigate some of that. And that's, you know, so I think given the lessons that were hopefully learned against the Giants, there's no reason for them to lose this game because it should be a, a very similar script. You're playing a super limited offense and a very, very capable defense. The Seahawks have an okay defense that should be capable while having an offense that it shouldn't matter who you're playing, you should be able to score points. So um, unless the turnover differential is just egregiously lopsided, I think this is a game that Seattle should win by a couple of scores. So well, that's hope that helps. Boosting my confidence quite a lot because I was I'm dreading Sunday. Chase Chase Young. If it's if it's like seven six Washington at halftime, I'll be thinking of you guys and you guys just cursing my name. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll be in your mentions. I'll be yeah. in your mentions cursing you. Don't worry about that. Don't okay. worry about that. Deal. Deal. So there are two things we always ask our American guests. One, have you well in two part, have you ever been over to the UK and how how aware were are you of the fan base that this team in particular has over here? Probably pretty ignorant to how big the fan base is there. I know that in the UK, football is, is really big. I actually went there during the playoffs two years ago, three years ago, three years ago. It was the year that the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And so that means they hosted the Vikings, I think, in the NFC Championship game. That's when mm-hmm. I was there. I watched that game. I watched that game, yeah, in the UK. Um, and it was like bars were full and it was super fun. So yes, I have been to London. I've been once and I loved it. Um, a little bit of an overwhelming city, but I loved the tube. Um, I got to go to Emirates, uh, and see, um, Arsenal smash palace. Like it was like four nil at halftime. Um, that, really that was a really neat experience. Yeah. Well, I, the, the whole environment of being at, um, a premiership game, 
was wild. One, like you're not allowed to take your booze into the stands. Like there would be riots if you couldn't do that in America. There is no way that would ever, ever be allowed because there people would be so upset. That's fascinating. The betting at the stadium, wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when like a goal was scored, it was like the initial roar and then it was like applause. Just like everyone just clapped. It wasn't like people going nuts and like high fives everywhere. It was like also like in unison and contained and loud, but like, I don't know. I loved it. It was fascinating. I don't know where I'm going. I'm like all sorts of tangents today. So I apologize. <laughs> no, we love it. Just, we love like, it. Dude, this guy is shut up. Um, <laughs> so no, I'm not aware of the Seahawks fan base there. Um, and then two, I, I loved my trip to London and really want to go back and get to, get to see more and, um, and all that. So, yeah. Good so stuff. You, must have, you must have just missed out one year early on the game when the Seahawks played against the Raiders in London then, presumably, because that was October 2018. Was that the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl? It was the same calendar year, but the following season. Okay. So you wouldn't have been you wouldn't have been working for the Seahawks just yet, I don't think. Yeah, well, I I was probably off by two years. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because I didn't. So the wait, so they went in twenty eighteen. You said. Yeah, October twenty eighteen was the game. Okay, so yeah, I missed it by a year because I started covering the team in twenty nineteen. So that that post goal thing, when it's a late goal, there's a term I don't know if Adam uses it called limbs. Yeah. So like with with uh, with with fans not going to games at the minute, my soccer team have scored three goals in the 90th minute and later. And the first thing, imagine the limbs, and it's just the sheer carnage of money. body parts, like, body limbs. So what one what uh, one game a few years ago we went to, one of my mates ended up four rows in front of where he started when we scored an 82nd minute equaliser. So. so yeah, unfortunately, at the Emirates, when if the so like when. Cam Newton was stopped to the one-yard line. That is oh, yeah. in soccer yeah. equivalent. There's a lot of those moments for the Seahawks, certainly. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, being at the Emirates, you don't really get a true... For the podcast, Adam, anything Yeah, well, you don't really get a true experience of what football fandom is like at the Emirates, unfortunately, because the subhuman filth that populate that stadium are never really going to give you an indication of anything that's... Uh, but look, scoring a goal is an alien concept for Arsenal these days, so uh, maybe they'll cherish that moment. Um but I love that you're just taking pot shots. At t- I don't care about this team at all. And you're just like, I'm going to make a Yes, That's beautiful. Oh, I love it. I, I love the Gunners Spurs. are trash. No one likes I, them anyways. So I, love, I love Spurs more than anything in the world. And my wife can probably hear me. So I'll go say my wife, my wife and then Spurs. <laughs> but I hate Arsenal so much more than I love Spurs. Just because that's why, just the way. Why, why is that the rivalry? I'm sure that's been the case forever. But like, why not Spot. Liverpool? Why not? United, why not? The the two State. clubs are the two clubs are five miles apart. Okay, so it's uh, it's like a wazoo, yeah, you know, U Dub thing, but you know, much much closer. The, the the two stadiums are on the end of the same road. Okay, so and, and the Spurs have a brand new stadium, right? We do, and that's in fact that's where the Seahawks were supposed to play that game, but uh, it got moved because it wasn't ready yet. Um, that, okay. to Wembley. That's right. I remember that. So next time, next time you're over, Mike Dugall will definitely be over because he loved his trip so much that he'll definitely yeah. be on the plane. So you'll have to come over and uh, we'll, we'll make a week of it like we did last time. Beautiful. So, but on, on Adam's Arsenal distaste, as I said before, I he once walked into a bar where I was meeting him and I was drinking a beer which is closely associated with Arsenal and he took it off me and got me one which is associated with Spurs. Yeah, I see so nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I love it. I agree. 
<laughs> no, thanks so much for uh, joining us. We probably kept you for far longer than you're anticipating, but hope it was uh, at least a fairly illuminating time. We'd love to be back uh, anytime you get a chance. Yeah, I think it was more my fault that I kept myself longer than <laughs> because of all my tangents. So that's that's on me. But no, it was an absolute blast. I appreciate you guys having me. It was a lot of fun. So uh, where can people catch you on socials and read your art, uh, stuff on the interwebs? Yeah, so all my work's on NBCSportsNorthwest.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe underscore fan. Um, I try to be as engaging and active uh, as I can. I'm a pretty responsive guy, for better or for worse. <laughs> uh, and then uh, also, uh, if you listen to podcasts, Talking Seahawks podcast, uh, you can find that wherever you listen to your podcast. We have that once a week. So I appreciate Let me plug all that, and I appreciate you guys having me. Cool. Anytime. Cheers, Joe. Appreciate it. It's Lynch. a block from his quarterback and is in for the touchdown. Well, you're going to see the move that he makes once he moves through the line of scrimmage. Right there. You get to the outside. And then Russell Wilson once again. So yeah, massive thanks to Joe Fan for jumping on and going off in all sorts of tangents, but uh, I enjoyed it. Adam enjoyed it and I hope everyone listening enjoyed it too. Massively appreciate him jumping on in what is a pretty busy time during the regular season for anyone on the beat in the NFL, particularly the Seahawks beat as well. And on moving forward, the Washington football team uh, are on the horizon this Sunday, six o'clock kickoff, a relief of an early game. I haven't looked yet, but I hope that some there's four or five sticks late games to enjoy red zone at least some point. That is another game for the Seahawks on Sky Sports. Sports, which is always fun when we have um, no idea who our right tackle is going to be and probably the defensive rookie of the year. And as we said last week, someone like Tommy said, I'd never want to lose enough to get someone that looks like you. Chase Young scored a 47-yard fumble recovery touchdown on Sunday. John Allen is just a beast. Darren Payne is good. Montez Sweat just bats everything down. Cameron Curl is one of the more impressive looking uh, young players, more surprising players in the league. And it's just, I mean, it all starts with those four up front, but this is a gnarly, gnarly test. Even if uh, confidence is somewhat raised by um, Joe's assertions on the matter, Adam. If you were to look at all of the traditional indicators of a Seahawk trap game, you've got 10 a.m. kickoff on the East Coast. You've got a grass field. You've got a defensive front that is not to be messed with. It sort of ticks all of the boxes for a game that uh, the Seahawks kind of the aura of the Seahawks and the, uh, you know, what people think of the Seahawks, they would lose. Um, I think this is as big an indicator going forward for the rest of the season as to what we can expect here. If they can go to Washington and take care of business, we might have a real team here that, that can push on. But equally, if we do get mauled up front um, and it's stodgy and we end up like a, with like a Titans-esque loss from, from last year or the year before, it's going to be very, very disappointing. Um, and it could be a real gut punch and reality check for the team going forward, which you know no one wants, obviously. No, uh, it also is a defense which is on a pretty hot streak as well. They've turned the ball over, got offense, their opposing offense turned the ball over eight times over the past month, including three on Sunday, two in about 17 seconds of gameplay, I think, as well, with uh, Chase Young collecting a fumble and also causing one as well. It's just, 
it's it's slightly terrifying. Like I said, Joe Fan talking about it did kind of make me feel a little bit better and more a little bit more confident. I don't really match his confidence of the score gap. Um because let's be honest, sixteen point sixteen half point was the spread for the Jets game and at nine o'clock on Sunday that seemed somewhat generous after what I watched over the month before. But yeah, it's just uh, yeah, oh, it's it's not gonna be enjoyable. The field is just still, which is just wild. It's still a mess. It's just I have. I, I, I think the Seahawks will win. It's just it's not going to be an enjoyable three hours. Should we uh, should we pick it now and then kind of carry on as we go? What's on a roll? What do you what do you reckon? I think it will be twenty four sixteen to the Seahawks. Yeah. I was going to go 24-21 Washington in my head, which I hate, hate thinking that. But I'm going to – I don't know how this is possible, but I'll go like – I think I'm going to go 19-17 Seattle. It's possible. In a, in a real clunker. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not going to be um, – it might be enjoyable. It's not going to be comfortable viewing, I don't think, on Sunday. Um, I think that's everything on that game. It just it, – like – the, the Seahawks just need to do what the Seahawks didn't do two weeks ago against the Giants, really, don't they? I mean, yeah. Dwayne, Dwayne Haskins is probably going to play on Sunday. And Dwayne Haskins was inactive uh, 17 months after being the first round pick for obviously a different different hierarchy there in Washington when he was picked. But, but yeah, it's just. Yeah, I mean, that would be a big help because what you do know about Alex Smith is he is. You know, he probably is the game manager before, you know, he, he was, the term was almost invented for Alex Smith at the start of his career, kind of let alone um, obviously hamstrung with the injury that he picked up that everyone knows, uh, you know, knows all too well about, unfortunately. Um, Haskins, I think, would give us a chance because I think Haskins might give us points that Alex Smith isn't going to give. Yeah. Um, but you do worry that if Chase slash Chad Wheeler, whatever his name is, is going to play right tackle, it could be an absolute shit show on the right side of that line. Um, yeah. And I don't know how... You, know, you can be creative and bring in a quick passing game, but the Steelers have a very quick passing game and they had no answer for that front four. Um, so that does give me serious concerns. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, again, for the third time in a month, which is, uh, says a lot about the division, we face the NFC East leading team the Washington <laughs> football team which is that must be a rarity I mean it's ridiculous so six and seven they beat the Niners despite only having 95 pass yards on Sunday Alex Smith exited rather early but obviously the defense won that game for them and the Seahawks sit at nine and four have to win out to have well to win the NFC West they could have a shot at the one seed if um, Sean Payton just continues to try out Taysom Hill because I'm sorry that just like they kind of deserve to uh, slip off that pedestal because it's just you got Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, yes, he threw a lot of interceptions, but he also threw a lot of touchdowns. So yeah, but um, that's a different thing. Uh, yeah, and after that, I don't have the nice, comforting noise and sight and sounds of Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald next Sunday, twenty foot twenty minutes later than it was four days ago. Adam. Yeah, it's always the the hell game and. There is a part of me that thinks that I don't think we can miss the playoffs realistically anymore unless no. we have an absolute nightmare, um, given that I think the team in eighth are six and seven. So I think you know, what with the extended playoffs, we're, we're pretty fine. But there is a part of me that does worry that 
if we play like we did against the Giants and the Bills and the Cardinals first time round, we could end up being a nine and seven team. I also think we could be eleven and five and go into the playoffs with you know a really nice bit of momentum, um, and and are able to to, to capitalize on, on hopefully a favorable seeding position. But it's fascinating right now. I mean, the NFC is so clumped together, as Joe said. Mm. Um, that you just don't know how it's all going to wash. And you do wonder that if, you know, between 10 p.m. and 12 a.m. in week 17, the numbers in the NFC West, uh, NFC seeding are just going to be jumping up and down all over the place. Yeah, it's, I mean, Aaron Rodgers seems pretty peerless in the minute. Devante Adams is playing well. Aaron Jones and um, the other running back, I can't remember, just making their second-round pick of A.J. Dillon look rather dumb. Um but yeah, like I'm just reading up on Washington, and they're the most 500 team ever. They've, they've, their offense has gained 14 yards more than their, their defense has given up. They've played 22 more players. They've got 0.1 yard per play on offense less than they have on uh, defense. They've got two more turnovers. Their offense has uh, caused uh, uh, the defense. The defense has caused two less turnovers. It's everything is just like literally exactly the same so this is a very middle of the ground team but it's going to be because of those four guys up front going to be somewhat of a challenge moving on Adam a spin in the bin I don't think I have one currently so do you want to go first I just want to reiterate a bin that I made a couple of weeks ago and that is the 55 yard field goal to win a game the Ravens and the Browns play out an at Absolute classic last night. And I know that Justin Tucker is hugely talented, but I just sort of feel that like they only win because they've got maybe the best kicker ever. And do we really want a game finishing on a 55? I know there's a safety afterwards, but it just leaves me a little bit flat to see that, uh, that, that game finish like that, I have to say. A month ago, Nick Chubb was clear and ran out of bounds for reasons I still am unsure of because it made no difference to what was happening with the clock, with the game, uh, the win probability, anything. He prob- It was Nick Chubb, I think, who scored the game yeah. head touchdown. He should have done it last night. I know you're running the risk of Baker reverting to somewhat type of Baker the last couple of years, but the Mar Jackson, like, your defence showed no signs of even consistently stopping that team. Mark Andrews has been quiet, so you knew he was going to show up at some point. And I know they only left like 69 seconds, but that's way too much when you have that kicker. So, I mean, Justin Tucker's unbelievable. I mean, it's 55 yards and it was dead straight. I mean, some of the, I mean, we saw one from the Jets on Sunday, was it three misses, four misses? It was hilarious. Which is ridiculous, but Justin Tucker was nowhere else, but I think he celebrated the minute the ball was snapped. It was that confident, but yeah, I think like Nick Chubb should have gone out of bounds, and then you just like you give him like seven seconds to try and get downfield. I think, but yeah, maybe I'm being a bit picky. Um, I, don't, I really don't think I've got anyone to get in the bin. I was just you must yeah. have someone. I you must have someone. So. What about the what about the Florida uh, player who threw the LSU? kids shoe 20 yards down the field and may cost you know florida beat alabama is going to cost his team a spot in the final four i had no idea that happened until 15 seconds ago so i believe what happened is that florida were playing lsu i think it was 34 a piece you can check that whilst i'm doing it and uh, there was an lsu player's shoe 
lying on the field and the Florida player in a, inexplicably just picked it up and launched it 20 yards down the field. Uh, and the referee gave an unsportsmanlike conduct. And then the LSU kicker drilled a 57-yard kick in the fog to give the Tigers a famous, famous win. I saw that. That was class. That was amazing. That was um, arguably the best kick ever. I'll tell you what you can go in the bin. It's the Pac-12. Um, I was just about to do that. They should have started the season when everybody else started the season. And also, you should probably have picked Colorado to play in the championship game instead of uh, Washington, I think. Because USC were ran close by a team who... Actually, another one in the Pac-12, Arizona... Um, you have a rivalry game. Adam, I'm not sure you know how this feels. Obviously, we're watching the Huskies fans uh, somewhat loosely. Um, to lose a rivalry game and give up 70 points, but when 14 of those 70 points are within the first minute, you kind of, yeah, like, you can't have that, can you? Even in these COVID times of 2020 college football. No, I mean, you can't imagine ever giving up 70 points no. in, a, in a rivalry game. That, no. that, that could never be me. 70? It seems like an awful lot. It does seem... Are you like sure that's lot. right? Yeah, there's just... No, I don't know. I just can't point my finger at it, so I'm not too sure. There'll be a point in time where I get it. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's not now. Oh, well, never mind. Uh, yeah, I think like, the Pac-12 are just... Like, they're always garbage. I mean, I can't remember who the Huskies played a couple of years ago, and the no one could watch the game because they had truck racing on. Like what is like they they moan when when Oregon would be thriving with Mariota and obviously with Browning and um, they did something in that year which I can't remember when they made the final four. It was all about respect. You can't get respect when you're doing what you're doing so consistently. I know your mate Softy is always banging that drum, and most people in Seattle media and any really college me- college football media are always banging the drum how useless Larry Scott is, the commissioner of the Pac-12, but. I mean, college football should not be happening in 2020. But if it's going to happen, no, you can do it better than this. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's only my game um, being like, I was just enjoying Cov going 10 points clear relegation zone. More well, Matt Stafford will be putting someone in the bin. Matt Stafford will be putting the officials in the bin from his game on Sunday. And I, I raise it because... I was always going to be in my fancy football playoff this week. And so I preemptively picked up Stafford knowing that uh, against the Titans would be a favorable matchup. Marvin Jones makes an unbelievable catch, but because of this weird can't overturn, if it's not obvious, they don't overturn the catch. Uh, And as a result, Matt Stafford on the next play, which shouldn't have happened uh, because, you know, the, the ball should have been in the end zone, I think, or, or the one-yard line. Matt Stafford makes a run, gets cracked in the ribs, uh, and is now going to be out, it looks like, for one or maybe two weeks. So he's going to put the referees in the bin. I'm going to put the referees in the bin for leaving me with Jared Goff or Deshaun Watson against the Colts. Just It's not a good matchup either way, but that's a, a, a little bin. You know, no one cares about my, my fancy team. That's for, for damn sure. But it's my podcast. You have to sit through what my ramblings, I'm afraid. Our podcast, of course. Yeah, mem- yeah, just remember who was called the main personality of this podcast a few weeks that ago. That is true. As well. um, true. But also, talking about fantasy, I mean, it's, a, it's a ped pod civil war because it's me against you in the playoffs. Not to talk too much about our fantasy football teams, but... It is. Oh. Which again, it is a rivalry game, which I couldn't imagine giving up 70 points in. as well. It's no longer cool. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, anything else uh, league wide? I'm 
well, I think I've said this a couple of times on this podcast. I'm legitimately concerned that we, I think we have the Panthers on our schedule next year because that team is going to turn around. Jeremy Chin is so good. He had another, he forced another fumble. I'm not sure if he picked it up and scored this week, but we, uh, he was a teammate of the uh, podcast, Madre Harper, um, uh, Southern Illinois. And like, he talked about how good he was. He went obviously way earlier than Madre did, but he's so good. And that team does not have the talent on the airline. Without McCaffrey, Mike Davis is getting by. Obviously, score cup to Shans on Sunday. That defense just has nobody apart from Brian Burns, and they are making life difficult. Another off season for Matt Rule coming up. They they might they could be next year's Colts. They they I think they're going to be good very very quickly. I think with the amount of money they've got guaranteed in Teddy Bridgewater, he might be slightly harder to oust than uh, kind of a. I, 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 I like Teddy. I like him, but he's not, you know, to, you know, to make the Colts comparison, he's not anything like a Philip Rivers level quarterback. Yeah, he's he's uh yeah, he's he's middle he's very middle of the road for me. Uh if you if you offer me playing against Teddy Bridgewater next year for the Panthers, I I'd take that quite happily. Mm, fair enough. Well, obviously McCaffrey you'd expect will be back by then as well. Talking of Philip Rivers... Congratulations to the Chargers for winning a game in the last second, although what they did at the end of the first half of that game, I just <laughs> do not know. And they really are just a walking bit at this point with Anthony Lynn. It's brilliant. I mean, the, I mean, there was like three interceptions in nine gameplay seconds in that game. Like both teams who struggled to close that game struggled to close that game. That should have been a tie. They should have just said, okay, we're just going to call this a tie. It doesn't make any difference to your <laughs> playoff chances, really, but you should have just called it a tie. Also, it's pretty cool to see two Alabama quarterbacks, or obviously two are run into the bustle that is Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, but it was kind of cool to see them both starting on the same weekend, a couple of years removed from what was... Two are taking Jalen's job at Alabama in such dramatic and extravagant style, Adam. Yeah, the, the league is looking well set for quarterbacks uh, at the moment and going into next year, which is you know, three or four years ago is not something that we thought we, we would have. Yeah, and we're still going to have Geno Smith. Uh, yeah, so if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can on all the usual means, methods and ways. Uh, thank you for listening. Thanks also to Gaz... Alcock, um, Ryan, and I can't remember other names who give us uh, feedback, which you obviously massively appreciate and obviously continue to encourage if you just throw any old comment at us in the comments when we post these podcasts. It is massively appreciated and makes it feel like we're not just shouting into a uh, echo chamber and just not having a, just a quick chat on Zoom every week, Adam. <laughs> it's always uh, good to see. Uh, the, the little pod, the little comments come up on Facebook and uh, always appreciate it and love getting you guys involved as much as uh, we like doing it ourselves. Yeah, so yeah, until next time, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast. Go Hawk. How much does Puna Ford owe you for breaking up your interception? <laughs> you I, when it first happened, I was like, I messed Puna up. But I went and looked at the replay. It was kind of like we was both there at the same time. So I, I don't feel as bad as um, as I did during the game. But, you know, two guys going for the ball. And uh, Puna's like, Unk. He called me Unk. He's like, Unk, that would have been my first interception. So, you know, next week we, we got to make sure it happened for him. <laughs>